Hello, Australia. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Layback Podcast. I'm Jackson Allen, and this is a podcast about Australian climbing. A quick update from me. It has been a while since the last podcast, I know. Uh, this year, coronavirus has constrained my ability to travel around the country, and social distancing has made it tough for me to sit down face-to-face with people for a podcast recording. In the past, I have preferred to do the interviews in person as I believe it does result in a better podcast. Having said that, I need to adapt to this new post-COVID world and so going forward, I'm going to be trying to use a combination of video meeting technology and sitting down with people face-to-face where I can to continue bringing you these podcasts. With this episode of the podcast, it was my first interview of a video conference. I did it with the team at the website that many Australian climbers use and contribute to regularly, The Crag. I really wanted to hear about how this site with its Australian roots started and developed over the past 20 years. But not just that, I thought who better to provide us with perspectives on Australian climbing for Australian listeners on this Australian podcast than the team at the Crag who can take a data-driven approach to analyzing climbing and providing us with insights about what makes us Australian climbers from the data that we've all been contributing over the past 20 years. So joining me for the podcast is Simon Dale. He's one of the founders of The Crag based in Victoria. Uh, Nicky Hockmuth, he's the data officer for The Crag and he's calling in from Switzerland. And Ulf Fuchsluger, business development and marketing, who is calling in from Belize in Central America. So this podcast was recorded with four people all over the globe. The audio quality is pretty good, but we are doing our best with uh, the constraints that we have to get all the team onto this podcast and sharing with you the story about the crag and what's happening with it uh, today and what's going to happen with it in future. Simon, who is the co-founder of the crag, he learned to climb on a course in New Zealand while at university back in the early 90s. He came back to Australia and bought a rope straight away, headed straight out to Arapiles as soon as he could. Uh, The first climb that him and his friend jump onto is the Bard. They're thinking, hey, you know, this is only a grade 12. It can't be that bad. Can't be that hard. It turned out to be a bit harder and a bit scarier than they expected, but it kicked off a long love affair with the rock for Simon. He went on to work in artificial intelligence. And then in the early days of the internet in the late 90s, he started the crag, which has become, as he describes, his life project. Nikki, who is the data officer at the crag, among other things, he ensures the integrity of the data that we all contribute to the crag. Nikki grew up in East Germany, which was mostly very flat, but his family would take him to the Saxon Switzerland mountain range for holidays where they would go hiking. While out hiking, they would see climbers on the cliff faces and they convinced their parents to let them go climbing. 
Like many of the time, he started with very rudimentary equipment. He wrote from a store and they were scrambling up cliffs with his father and brother. And over time, this developed into trad climbing and later sport climbing across all of Europe. He's been a big part of the crag in the past five years and its development in Europe. Ulf is responsible for marketing and business development at the crag. He's a chemist and an entrepreneur who ran and sold a data management company, uh, selling it in, I think, 2014 and then hitting the road. And he's been traveling and climbing around the world since then with his partner and their dog in this converted red Mercedes truck. It's... uh, it's pretty cool to see and uh, I will share his his website on the blog. Ulf is originally from Austria. He grew up in a family of alpinists spending his weekends climbing in the mountains and hiking and climbing's mostly been a constant in his life. He now sport climbs all over the world and has seen an impressive number of countries since he started in 2014. So we kick off the episode with Simon taking us through the origins of the crag and its development over time since 1999. That takes us up to the present where we talk a bit about the crag today, its mission and their vision for the future. We go over how the crag has been influenced by its roots in Australia, which I think might give listeners some insights and perspective of Australian climbing in and of itself. We also go over the insights about Australian climbing that can be discerned from the data that the crag has collected over many years. We cover off on most popular route names in Australia, which is a really fun part of this podcast. We go over the best, most popular routes at various grades for you to add to your tick list. And somewhere in there, we go over the Eubanks grading system and how the crag converts all the global grading systems into one another. The potential for artificial intelligence is also covered, how it can improve that grade conversion, but also how it can potentially improve how we as climbers grade climbs. Anyway, enough from me. Let's hear it. So tell us the origin of the crag where did it all begin so my friend campbell who i'd been climbing with and created a like a really strong friendship uh with over over uh, about 10 years in melbourne we had both had children coincidentally at about the same time his first child was six months older than mine um and we weren't getting to the crag to be honest we were dealing with Kids who weren't sleeping and uh, just learn, learning ourselves how, how to be parents. So, but we were still missing going out. Um, and one one evening, we kind of got together and had a few drinks and started brainstorming about what about our future, what we could do. And the night went on quite late, and we came up with several ideas of what we could do. One of which was the crag, and the the fundamental idea of it was to build a global index of climbs, and for, so it could be so you could tick and search. Um, I spent three days prototyping our idea and started with the Rapalies, uh, put 
in all the climbs for Arapiles, and it was kind of pretty cool. Like I, I would normally, to find the climbs I wanted to do next, go thumb through the guidebook, look for the three-star grade 21s and um, plan that for the weekend and then look for some some climbs to lead up to that. So I'd, I'd finish off with the climb I really wanted to do and warm up on others. Um, and it was very clear that with computer technology that you, I could find some stuff I'd missed uh, some and very easily plan the weekend with in a much more efficient method. And um, it was kind of pretty exciting just to see, oh, wow, I could do this. I can do this in a crag, which I know really well. Imagine how good this would be just going to a completely new crag, which I didn't know at all. I get to know it really quickly. Um, so can you place that in time for us? What uh, year are we talking about here? Uh, this is uh, um, 1999. So I think we did the prototype in 1999 and we, I think, got the domain name about the same time. Um, so it's either before 2000 or uh, just after 2000 started. Um, but we we kind of launched the site just, just at, at the end of the ni- 1999. Um, okay. And so tell us, how did the launch go? So, so we launched it almost straight away. So I had enough knowledge of internet and technology um, to put, put this all together um, and, and launch something, um, but no one paid attention. <laughs> um, it was, we just couldn't uh, get, a, get very many eyeballs looking at it. We launched two sites, actually. We launched one called arapolis.com, which was... Um, uh, is meant to be a, a uh, discussion forum. Uh, um, and some people may and may not remember this, um, but it's kind of a predecessor of Chockstone and, um, and QRank. Um, it didn't last very long. Um, it kind of grew, but then for me, it wasn't that exciting. Um, I, I compared the two ideas and one idea was this thing which gets kind of better over time, like this root database just... Every, every little thing that gets added to it, it just improves it. Whereas a discussion forum for me at the time just seemed like you lost uh, every day that a, dis- a day goes by, the discussions get less valuable <laughs> um, and it's more about the relationships you create, which is great, um, but it creates a lot of work. I wanted to do something which I could leave for three months um, and it would still be still be kind of useful. Um, so, so we let that the discussion forum go and just pursued um, this root data root database, which was essentially for ticking a, a ticking engine and a search search engine for roots. It was called the Crag at the time, and actually that's also when our lo- our logo came from that from the early days as well. Because one of the things uh, we did was uh, we looked at uh, graphing the profile of. Um, profile of climbs at a particular, a particular crag, um, in particular Arapiles, and it was a kind of a beautiful shape. Um, the actual graph of, uh, and it's the, the shape is the same as our, our logo. So I thought, oh wow, this is this is actually quite cool. And it turned out that almost every crag had this um, grade profile shape, which looked pretty much the same. So uh, it's kind of a slow, a slow sloping hill at one side at the lower grades and then gets to a peak um, at about grade 18 and then drops off quite like a steeper cliff on the other side. And so it's this, 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 it was kind of a, for me, that was kind of quite beautiful and symbolic. Not very many people, I don't think, liked the logo initially, or, um, but uh, 
but I think the symbolism of it for me will uh, will always be there. I don't think we'll ever change that logo. Um, so it it comes from the very early days and the um, analysis we were doing when we were kind of creating the site. Um, so what did the site look like in the beginning compared to what it looks like today? Uh, okay, so um, anyone who's worked with me knows that I'm kind of not a, a UI specialist. Um, uh, a UI for those who aren't tech technologists uh, is user in- interface um, and uh, it was very technical high um, it, so we made no use of modern modern techniques it was kind of just traditional HTML um, and it was very clear it was made by someone who was who was who was technical um, was that because you were more focused on say uh, the architecture of the database and how it was structured uh, like, was that more important? Yeah, the the features and the functions were way more important. In particular, what we were doing with the data was way more important um, than what it looked like, which is that most developers wouldn't agree with that approach. Um, uh, but that kind of comes from my background of kind of being interested in the data more than the more than the user interface. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's just who I am as well. So I can I. I you, you you go to your skills, so that's where my skills were. And uh, it wasn't until later when we got um, Bren- Brendan on board um, did we get some sort of help with the UI and um, some some big improvements. Uh, we still got, we've actually still got a long like we're still suffering from those early days of being very technical. We're still probably the most technical um, uh, information site um, uh, as far as uh, features and um, yeah, it's kind of a complex site to navigate, um, but uh, it's kind of very feature rich as well. So I don't think we'll ever completely lose the technical side of the crag. I think it's still kind of important to the team that we have strong capabilities rather than uh, just just good looking. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm curious about how the site and the team evolved over time. Can you run us through the journey of the crag uh, since it began? Yeah, if I divide the crag into five-year series of five-year pushes, that's probably the best way to explain it. So each five-year phase, um, we had a very different challenges and that pretty clear endpoints of that five years where where everything kind of changed and we had to kind of some something was different. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll just go through that because I think it's kind of kind of nice way to explain it and also it's probably good for understanding that I mean this is a, a lifetime project for me like 20 years um, so it's four series of five-year commitments um, so far um, which is it, 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 it it's a big piece of work um, and I think I can only focus on five years at a time and then make a decision going forward for the next five years so the first five years was kind of um, it was kind of about expectations for us. Um, it was, com- I guess, the challenge was unfulfilled expectations. Um, we had uh, I'd quit work to do this, um, thinking it was yeah. I kind of misjudged probably the opportunity um, uh, a little bit, and I also wanted to pursue whatever it was. I wanted to pursue my own destination. I didn't want to work anymore for. For someone, and even if it just ended up that I learnt something and moved on, that was okay. That was fine as well. So I went full time initially to get this set up, and I kind of 
expected something a little bit different. I expected that we would get more attention initially. Um, instead, uh, it took six months for us to get 10 people to sign up. We had a, a meet and greet evening, um, online meet and greet, and no one turned up. <laughs> um, and we continually got some feedback about ticking, why would you want to tick? <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the purpose of, of recording your, your, your having a logbook? Uh, well, it, it wasn't ubiquitous that we got that feedback, but we did get that feedback quite a bit. Um, and we didn't really engage the elite climbers. So no, no, no elite climbers were knocking on our doors. And I, I, I kind of, that was, that was what was surprising for me um, because I expected the, the rest of the community would share my vision, vision or our vision instantly and it didn't happen um, and instead it was a slow a slow burn so the next six months after uh, we had 100 people sign up and then the six months after that um, that went up to something like 500 and then and then it started to grow um, by the end of the five years we had I think 50,000 people had signed up it it did actually it did actually um, end up meeting some expectations but the initial challenge was, oh, it's not as big as I thought it was going to be. And I've noticed that a lot on internet, people's internet projects. Uh, I've seen, I've worked with a lot of people's internet projects and seen what they've done. And quite often the biggest challenge for them is their expectations after their invested time and money into it, that on day one, it's not as big as they thought it would be on day one. And that was kind of a bit of a challenge for me and Campbell initially. But we kind of were very encouraged by um, some more influential climbers in the climbing community at the time, such as Lee Kujis and uh, uh, Chris Baxter. Lee, from a sort of a social point of view, uh, he was a big fan of ours. Um, and kind of encouraged us to keep going to see someone who's so influential be encouraging. And uh, Chris Baxter was interestingly, uh, I think, pivotable, a little bit pivotable um, on how, on us keep on, keep on going for a while. Um, he was an early sponsor. If you, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but he was, he was willing to sponsor us almost straight away, um, uh, even though we're kind of potentially a competitor. Um, Chris Baxter was the, per, uh, the person who started Rock Magazine, for those who don't know. Um, and then the other big challenge of the early days was online tech was really limited. So um, before you mentioned sort of database design, and that's kind of what you do now. But back then, we didn't, it was more than just database design. We had to actually build a database. There was no online databases for us to actually go and rent. Now you can do it for $5 a month. Um, back then it was uh, hugely expensive to do. So for us to get the functionality we wanted, we had to even build our own, da our own database. So everything was bespoke. And this was the time before Facebook, we, it was before Twitter, Google was just in someone's garage. Um, this was really early days. Open source had just begun, the concept of open source had just begun with Linux. And certainly there were development, uh, the development frameworks weren't even there. So that kind of lack of online support for secondary support, which we developers now take for granted, just wasn't there, which was a, which was a really big challenge in the first five years. That led to kind of 2005, kind of run out of money. <laughs> Um, uh, we were, I think we were just probably getting to a point where 
maybe we could see through it. Uh, we were growing fast enough that there was probably a good, uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but uh, I personally had no more money and kids were growing up. I was no longer able to provide the family support that I needed to. to um, so I had to kind of give it up for a while, actually five years. <laughs> um, so, so the next five-year period, were, uh, we didn't work on it at all. The servers just kept on running and it, but slowly degraded. Uh, what was really interesting in that period, the system kept ran for five years with very little work. I didn't. I, I went for many months without looking at it or touching it, um, and it was still kept on running. So it was kind of really, really robust back then. And every now and then, I'd look. At, we'd look at the stats and who was there, and it was kind of at the end of it. There were a couple of people who. Um, were still were still hanging on. It wasn't very many, but they're still logging ticks. Um, uh, and, and actually, that was really motivating when we made our decision. Finally, made our decision to start up again. That people hadn't let go of it. So there was, even though I wasn't kind of pursuing it actively, they were still ticking, um, and they were still using it. And just seeing people continue to use it was really motivating for me to make that decision in 2010. I had also got a bit more money in my bank account after consulting for five years. So I, I had the capability to, to push it again. So we made the decision to start again. But in the meantime, our host provider decided to change operating systems on us with three days notice. So for the first time in 10 years, um, we went down and we went down for months. Um, we, it took us months to recover. I'd, I was halfway through a port um, and I couldn't I didn't have the energy to get the old system back up and running somewhere else. So we were down for quite some time. Launched way too prematurely just to get it out there. It was a disastrous relaunch, looked terrible and was really difficult, got a lot of poor feedback. But I did do a call for help um, and that's when Brendan Haywood, who has been the face of the crag for the last part of the face of the crag and probably... Um, when people think of the Crag in the last 10 years, they would be thinking about thinking of Brendan. Um, but he put his hand up and said, are, are you ready for me? I've got, I've got a vision for you. <laughs> and, yeah, he was great. He was, he was super good with UI. Uh, uh, he was super good with technology. He came on board having already developed a topo tool and said, I'm going to contribute this, which was instrumental in changing our direction and becoming way more of a content platform. Um, so the next period was kind of 2010 to 2005. Um, the big challenge for that period was uh, we were behind, like we were behind in the market. 8A, who had we had been kind of level pegging with at the beginning of 2000, beginning of 2000 was way ahead of us. Um, we had content platforms who had started up in the last five years and were already huge um, and yeah, a, bit, a, a lot to catch up. Um, uh, and I think if it wasn't for Brendan, I, we wouldn't have lasted that long. Uh, he had a lot of energy and he had some really good ideas. Um, so um, the momentum of our working together and discussion kind of grew. Uh, we got some more, uh, our user base started growing uh, at a quite a rapid rate. So even though we were quite far behind, um, some of the ideas we had were unique enough that um, we were capturing um, capturing the imaginations of quite a few climbers. Um, and we'd, we, we were, we'd started again with some of our, we've changed some of our assumptions. 
Um, one of the early assumptions was that uh, I wanted only people who are logged in to see the site, uh, which is where we got a lot of um, why we got a lot of users, but we had no search presence, um, and that kind of really hurt us. And that, because there was no brand, if you didn't log, log in, um, you didn't see our brand at all. So uh, we changed that assumption, and uh, and so that anyone can, you don't have to log in to see site content and so that created a whole new growth profile and we were kind of also desperate to catch up as well so we we had a huge number of new features which went in topical tool maps um, and we had really kind of sophisticated advanced search techniques um, for routes and ascents all really kind of quite, quite technical in the end not many people knew about them, <laughs> but the people who did know about them kind of were our fans and 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 really talked 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 us up in their communities. Um, and we also made the big decision to separate um, track uh, sport routes and, and and bouldering routes. So pre two thousand and ten, we didn't really do much with bouldering, um, and we just assumed a route was a route. Um, but it was clear that in two thousand and ten there were very different styles and bouldering was here to stay and growing. So we kind of created a separate bouldering database um, and um, and trad database and, um, and and sport database. And I think that was kind of instrumental to to, to our our growth as well. Um, um, so and and that kind of decision also paved the way for future decisions um, uh, later on. Um, being able to also uh, separate gym routes and some other things which may be even coming in the future as well. So there are a lot of failed, back back in the early, th 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 those years, there are a lot of failed um, features. There was this feature called trips where you could plan your trip, invite a friend, um, and there was some AI in the system which would um, work out what were the best climbs for each of each of you uh, in in an area, and present a, a, a checklist where you could go to a particular area, and one of you could do the grade fourteen, one of you could do the grade eighteen, uh, and for for this group, this was the best area to go to it. <laughs> it was actually pretty good, um, but it was so complex that no one used it. <laughs> um, and then we had uh, another concept of circuits, which was kind of abandoned and look and that's going to come back again but rebranded um, the pdfs the site is kind of you can you can actually download pdf well-structured pdfs for any area any area on this on the site which includes the topos and maps um, however that kind of didn't really that we're just hold, we're just holding on to that functionality as much as we can it didn't really Develop in a, a stronger way as some of the other, like the maps. And it's not, it's not really a critical part of our our, our site. And we we had two, our first two unsuccessful mobile app attempts. So the users of the Crag will uh, are completely desperate to use us on on mobile. And our first two attempts were in the the 2010 to 2015 era. So we tried two development frameworks, um, and they just weren't they weren't modern enough. They didn't have enough clout to deal with the kind of data we had and the um, the complexity of the data in particular. You know, and having so they could deal with small crags where there were hundred routes, but they couldn't deal with crag where there were ten thousand routes like the Grampians. So it would crash, and um, it and we just couldn't we couldn't work through those issues because they were part the issues were. In, were deep in the framework, so we had to abandon that. By the end of that 
that 2014-2015, we're kind of feeling this weight of legacy as well had start, had started up. We'd built a bit of a monster, um, a feature monster, um, and every time we added a new feature, it became more difficult to maintain old features. And this is a, for those people who, uh, like I, I think a lot of crowd users are uh, young um young technologists um, and this, there's this concept called te technical debt and um, that's where um, the more you add, the harder it is um, to add any more features. And so the Crags got this kind of this weight of technical debt and, and, and legacy that we've um, kind of been battling through for, for many years. And, and one of, the, one of the, um, the essence between the, the idea of the technical debt is um, you should be fixing problems, uh, spending time fixing problems early um, rather than getting things out quickly. So um, whenever, uh, and that sounds logical, but the, the un, there's an implication to that which not everyone realises, and that is if you fix problems properly early, you might go out of business because it takes too long to get something out. And that was probably the case. Like if, I, if we spent 12 months fixing some of the underlying problems, we probably wouldn't have um, got through it. Anyway, at the end of that period, a, a, a young man called Adam Pullen came, came on board to help us. Um, uh, in particular, he said, oh, I'll build you an app. And so we were pretty excited by that. Um, he, he, he built an app and we launched it. It was an Android app and it lasted for about a year. Uh, unfortunately, I think we didn't manage that very well as a, as a team. And we didn't get anyone to help him. Um, and it suffered from a few technical problems. And he didn't have time to fix them. And so we ended up having to pull it. Uh, and so our, our first kind of successful app w was unsuccessful again. So, so that's the third attempt for an app. The apps were the, the, the story of the app in the crag was um, was was a big part of uh, <laughs> was brewing, um, yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of two thousand and fifteen twenty. We had a that a, that app hiccup, which we lost a lot of momentum with that personally. Um, both Brendan and I kind of felt like we've done this big push and we didn't get to where we wanted to go to, and so we took a kind of a step sideways, not a step back, but a step sideways where we focused on other things for a bit. And it was th this was when we also got Nikki and Olf on board. Nikki came back, came on board really enthusiastically. He had done so much work on the crags as a as a kind of content moderator for uh, the last couple of years, and um, he just wanted he wanted to make a bigger commitment and wanted to make sure we did the you know looked after the work he's done, I presume. Um, and Olf came aboard in 2016 and that, that combined energy kind of rejuvenated, rejuvenated us as a team. You can see, you can actually, interestingly, if you look at our stats, you can see uh, for the first five years, uh, our usage was doubling every year. And then to 2016, we went backwards by 15%. So you can see the effect of uh, loss of momentum of, of the developers or the team when they, like nothing happened on the, the site still functioned the same. It was just that loss of momentum from the developers where, um, and, and so, so part of the, our community kind of, um, that what they liked about us was that we were pushing the envelope with features, that we were responsive to them, that we were, we did listen to what they're saying and we did make changes. And so when that stopped for a little bit, I think we lost, a, our users lost a bit of momentum, we lost a bit of momentum. but. Um, so, but 
then came these two uh, the, these two beautiful climbers who um, were enthusiastic and really lit our fire again. So the next part of the the, the period was just about like having off sort of marketing sense and strategic thinking, which um, gave us a whole set of new priorities um, and a whole lot of new work. So um, the challenge for which we made for Olf when he came on board was like, oh, yeah, it all sounds really good uh, what you're proposing, but how do we know that you're a good person to work work with? And he said, yeah, why don't we set, why don't we just have a project together, um, a small project together to, to see to see if we can work together and um so i've suggested oh why don't we make the crack the crag multilingual um uh, and so this isn't a small project <laughs> turning a, a platform into a multilingual uh, <laughs> so so anyway that was our that was our introductory project with with off and it was um and we got that going in about three months um it's still kind of we're still finishing that off um yeah, so how many languages is the site available in now? Uh, you know, naturally, I've only ever viewed it in English. Oh, we've got seven languages. So the Crag is in seven languages, I think. It's in um, English, Italian, French, German, uh, Korean, and Chinese. Oh, yeah, Spanish. Yeah. I can appreciate that uh, translating the entire website, including you know everything in the background into seven different languages must have been quite a monstrous task. Yeah, so that was that was um, of small work together task. <laughs> all right, all right. okay, so sorry, um before I interrupted you, uh, you were talking about when uh, Ulf and uh, Nikki came on board. Yeah. And so it was just a, so so the biggest challenge in the last five years has been critical path. How do we get everything done we need to get done and we wanted to get done? So Olf has put on the table all these strategic what were strategic developments as opposed to uh, me, uh, meeting kind of user feedback needs and a, what was it before a technical focus on on it. Now Olf saying, I oh, know this is what we this is what we need to do, and it was language, it was uh, ranking. Um, so these are all big pieces of work. Um, and, of course, mobile app was back on the table. Mo- mobile app is a, a very difficult piece of work. <laughs> um, our, our requirements are, are monstrous um, to make it work. So-, so when you say mobile app, you mean when I pick up my phone and I go into the browser and view the crag that way? Is, is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about going to iPhone store and, and downloading a specific app. So uh, in parallel, we want the website to be mobile friendly. Um, and that's something that we're, that we've been working on for years. Um, and it's part of the legacy. And uh, there are the capabilities on a mobile for the for the website are a little bit less. There's some features which aren't quite at par. Um, and that's, again, a priority for us to get that to parity, but um, it's not quite there yet. Um, so the, the the biggest challenge in the previous five years was just getting everything done, and we're all on the critical path, and um, and all our resources are kind of that. You know, we 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 kind of put juggling juggling the crag with our full time work. We don't actually get paid to do the crag. Um, the money kind of goes back into um, paying for servers and. Um, Actually, they're only just paying for service. <laughs> um, so, uh, 
So we don't pull out any a wage, unfortunately. Um, so that means we have to somehow do uh, do all this in our spare time. So we've got this kind of vision of where we want to be. We've got a backlog of a thousand user issues, um, which we want to. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's a long list, um, and we do want to clear them. Uh, and we've got uh, very little resources and time to do it all. Um, so. How do we how do we untangle all this these requirements and and get ourselves out of the critical path so we can deliver uh, in time? So this has been kind of a really big challenge for the last uh, five years, and I I think the fact is that we are doing okay with that, um, and we are still delivering things and some really cool features um, and some big projects still are coming through. At the beginning of 2020, that our user base has really responded quite nicely. So our global growth has gone gone up quite a lot. We've got strong growth in China. Germany is, that the growth in Germany is huge. And actually in quite a few European countries now, there's a lot of climbers starting to use us. The growth has continued in um, Australia as well, although the growth of routes hasn't, has kind of flat, flattened a bit in Australia, but um, the growth of users has continued. Let's talk about those two concepts. Uh, for, firstly, the users, because it sounds like that one is an important one for you. At the end of that first five-year period, uh, as you talked about, you had about 50,000 users. Where are you at today? How many users are there now? I think we've had around 150,000 people sign up to the Crag at some stage. Um, but that will include um, the odd spam account. Uh, it, it also includes people who have signed up twice and it includes people who are inactive. So I think we've got 27,000 Australians who have signed up. I think of those 50,000 who initially signed up, a lot of them are probably inactive now. So All, all inactive except for uh, Vanessa Wills and Lee Kujes, right? Yeah, th- those two are still active. <laughs> um, and and myself, so look for the look for the pre two thousand and four. We're pretty special. <laughs> um, and has the user base grown much outside of Australia in the past five to ten years? Yeah, ten year ten years ago it was probably mostly mostly Australian. Now the majority of the usage is now outside of Australia, um, uh, but Australia is still a very significant portion of the usage, maybe forty percent, but. Uh, the team is actually, um, as you've, you've already been introduced, the team is international. We've got um, Olf who's traveling the world and Nikki in Switzerland. And so we're getting a very international perspective of our development, which is quite unique, I think. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I can jump in here. Yeah, sure thing. Nikki, go ahead. Yeah, so from my perspective, I, I didn't know uh, the crack from the very beginning. Yeah? I just picked up, let's say, eight or ten years ago. Yeah? And at this point, it was clearly an Australian platform, yeah. And you, I, as a U, European or German Switzerland climber, you thought about, uh, okay, yeah, it's nice, but it's not your community, yeah. It's a, it's in Australia, and, and of course uh, the the platform itself uh, provided the possibility to add routes over, all over the world, but that's that's not all. You want to chat with your friends and so, and and here is really what it makes possible that it also go in outside of Australia was. Not not in the very beginning, the, the possibility of uh, that we translated the page, it came later on, but from the very beginning on, for example, was this, uh, this in the backbone, very sophisticated grade, grading tool, yeah, and that we 
could really support local grades yeah and this is this is somehow it's not easy just a little bit uh, you compare some labels and then you could say yeah it's um a 7b is something in another uh, in another grading system but um if you climb you really feel connected with your local gradings yeah? and meanwhile we have 40 grading systems were spread from all over the world and I was very uh, impressed from the very beginning I, I get early in touch with Simon and said hey I, I'm looking I'm climbing in in this uh, Elbsandstein mountain ridge they have a very complicated or sophisticated grading system there but also includes a little bit of jumping technical but also protection and so how could we model it yeah I, I would like it's it's no it makes no sense for me to to take a route there with with the normal sport climbing grade let's say 7c french gate or so it doesn't fit together so and then he this this um first of all the technical probability to to model it yeah and and, and second uh also important the willingness to to do this yeah that you really came to the uh, so you try to build up a, a global platform but you really try to catch up with the local community everywhere and this is uh, the local gradings but also this kind of uh, language or multi-language support is very important because it's, it's your hobby heftness it's and uh, you don't want to be forced to to speak it in another language or to to think about it in another grade and so this is this uh, this local this local thing it's still one of our, of our main features i think okay now if we think about all the routes and problems that exist in the world how much coverage do you think the crag has now of, of all of that that's possibly out there <laughs> yeah that's a good question we ask we ask this ourselves uh, from time to time mm, good you question see this, this flattening in australia but i really think there's there's more in australia yeah to to record or to to put into the database but yeah meanwhile we have uh, 700,000 routes more than that and my personal guess is that we will end up something around 3 million but this is a really this is somewhere in the in the sky yeah but there are really parts there are parts they are just not covered so the asia part the southern southern american part yeah it's just beginning to grow there of course the, 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 also the root development and all this um, it's, it's it's a little bit behind there yeah? the, the, the people just came into climbing and then now they started to to put up roots and, and but from the very beginning now they already start to record them yeah this is a good part yeah <laughs> uh, but this will I, I think this will grow and if you just compare what what the what the geology offers you the mountain ridges spread all over the world my my personal guess is we will end up something around three million yeah. you know we have sometimes climbers that come to us to import their logbooks you know they might have uh, paper recordings or excel sheets or, or come from another platform and when we import huge logbooks you can look at the percentage of routes we have uh, covered and this gives you a relatively good indication of the coverage we have in certain areas so this is as nikki just outlined can be quite different i mean we have extremely high coverage in in certain areas of course mostly australia but also of course uh, a lot of the european countries and and uh, other specific countries and sometimes we uncover like uh, blank areas or countries where we don't have good coverage. You know, we recently had a, a top climber from Bulgaria who joined and we just realized, you know, we have really not good coverage for Bulgaria. But very often we see like 80% or even higher coverage if people from 
let's say France or or, or popular climbing countries join us, uh, and we can go to, to down as low as fifty percent for for climbers that come maybe of areas or countries that are not that uh, well covered by the crack. Yeah, but we have extremely strong growth in content uh, still. Uh, if we look uh, in other countries or, or not Australian growth, because uh, we think the coverage in Australia is, is, is much higher. Okay. And one thing I also wanted to ask you all about was Karma. Users on the website, they gain Karma for using and contributing to the site. It's similar to how some other websites have gamified the contribution of content to their websites. How did that come about? Has it been around since the beginning? Yeah, that's been around for quite some time. Um, uh, probably not the very beginning, either around 2010 or, or yeah, the concept of karma wasn't a copied concept. Um, so that was definitely unique for us. Um, there are a few unique things that we have done that we've later found that have made the you know so made the grade. But karma is definitely something that was completely independent thinking um, and uh, not copied at all. And there's another, there's a, there's the other part of that, of the karma, which is probably not known so well, is kudos, um, which is the uh, concept of uh, a crag giving enjoyment to climbers. So crags have kudos and um, and people have karma. So there's, there, there's a, there's the duality in that, and um, that kudos is actually something which drives some of our stats in the back background and helps us present what are the best, work out what are the best crags, and that's all based on uh, p- people's opinions of how, how much they climb there and people's opinions of those routes, uh, what kind of quality they are. Um, uh, yeah, so but karma is actually not important so much for gamifying. Um, so there were two other reasons why we wanted to put in karma. One is kind of uh, uh, having a number that that gives people authority of who they are in the community. So if some, if you're talking to someone in a, in a forum, you want to know. Uh, it's kind of useful to know how much they've contributed to the community. Karma's just is, is something that. You can instantly go, oh, this person's done a lot. Uh, he knows what he's talking about in reference to contra- content co- contribution. So it's about your reputation. So that was kind of one of the reasons why we, ha- we had it. The other is kind of about rewarding um, people. If we could do something with, with, with rewarding, having some sort of metric was kind of... Uh, so I guess that's probably what would be called gamifying but um it wasn't kind of our motivation like we, we never used the word gamifying back then it was um it was a very different way of the way we analyzed it okay f- fair enough let's change gears here a bit uh we've talked a fair bit about the history of the crag up until today uh you do list the mission and the vision on the website can you flesh those out for us a bit and uh, give us a bit of a feel for where you guys see the purpose of the site? I, I guess what I'll do is um, I'll answer the the mission and I'll get off to answer the vision. So they're kind of separate. So our mission is to build an enduring resource 
for the world's climbing information and to facilitate sustainable climbing and to support a thriving community. And so I think there's three key concepts there which uh, are really important. Um, uh, one is it's an enduring resource. So this is something that doesn't disappear in uh, in five years' time, that this is here forever for climbers um, and it's managed, managed, managed forever. So that's kind of one aspect of our, our mission. Uh, another aspect is to facilitate sustainable climbing like we can't make climbing sustainable like they did, uh, the climbers have to do that but we can provide tools which help facilitate that so that means like working with uh, advocacy groups um, and following their recommendations and building features uh, prioritizing features that su- support sustainable sustainable climbing that's so we do things like making close uh, closed crags very clear and maps and um and we've just introduced a warning system so, so we can get the information about change status as quickly as we can to climbers and so yeah the sustainable climbing is really it's actually quite topical for uh climbers as well where there's a challenge for the and it's actually not just Australia, it's all around the world. How do we how do we create a sustainable climbing community? The third the third aspect is a thriving community. We we want everyone to be happy in the community, doing really kind of constructive talk, enjoying what they're doing, and and we can support people to do their best. And there are certainly challenges uh, in all of that 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 mission, but uh, that's what it has kind of been for a very long time, and we haven't kind of wavered from that. At that for the mission. Um, Olf can talk about the actual vision of um, how we're getting there. Yeah, uh, thanks, Simon. Uh, the vision is is also pretty straightforward. Actually, we 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 say uh, it loud and clear on our website. We want to be the number one climbing platform worldwide and and in all key climbing countries, which also makes it evident how important for us it is uh, to be. Uh, strong also in, in in local areas or in individual countries and we also want to be perceived as the as the market leader with respect to user satisfaction data quality and uh, technological leadership as well as in uh, sustainable behavior and these are all nice words but the thing is that um, we think as as simon just explained also with the uh, mission statement we think we are living up to that in many ways so uh, let me look at the part of the sustainable behavior simon just mentioned the warning system our strong support for advocacy groups uh, you know we allow them for example to uh, put free advertising on our website to uh, integrate data from the crack freely on their platforms to distribute information about uh, closed areas, about issues with access uh, uh, to on, on their pages and distribute it to their community. Uh, so there's really a lot of activities and our priorities that are centered about these, uh, these statements. Uh, data quality, I mean, I think there are not many pages out there like, uh, like the Craig that has a uh, that have a dedicated data officer like Nikki, who is looking after quality and constantly improving uh, the interaction with with our key contributors, and also developments that make con- contributing quality content easier for everyone. Uh, so, automatic checks on data, uh, data reviews that we have, you know, to ensure 
we don't violate copyrights uh, uh make make sure content is is checked and validated by us but mostly also by the community and make that reporting easy uh and a lot of developments in what what we call for the for the market leadership that ensure that we are not only doing the catch up that uh, was happening over the the second last five year period maybe that uh, simon mentioned in his uh, history part but that we develop with uh, also leading research in the climate community uh, new concepts that help the climate community develop or in, in a scientific way you know we have introduced a few years back the climate performance rating when we uh when we went back into ranking, uh, you know, we said we need to come up with a ranking system because it is a not it's an interest of many climbers. You know, many say also, oh, I don't want to be ranked, but uh, actually, many many climbers and not only on the top level want to see where they are compared with their friends, compared with their uh, favorite cracks, and. Uh, this is also pretty impressive, you know, when I came new to the team uh, and I saw Simon and Brandon mostly coming up with a scientific approach to ranking and uh, not, not an arbitrary system like you might know it from other sites uh, that we implemented and that in the end was presented at uh, the IRCRA conference in Chamonix a few years back and is now a de facto standard in, in assessing climbing performance you know ranking is just one aspect of it so there are many of these aspects that uh, show that if we do something we take it pretty seriously and we try to take a scientific approach to it it's uh, just now there's something you will hopefully learn soon out there uh, Simon mentioned his background in artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning we have uh, a contributor, uh, uh, a partner, if you like, that developed a tool that brings artificial intelligence into grade, uh, route grading. And uh, we have a better version of that up on our site and will soon present that to the world. It's the first tool that allows to take the... The, the personal aspect out of route grading and bring a more scientific approach based on ascent data on, on route grading. So there's a lot of innovation actually happening in the background that we bring out to, uh, to the climbing world and shows this market leadership that the Craig is having by now to, to the climbing community and the st other stakeholders in the climbing world. Okay, I have, to, I have to say that AI for grades sounds very cool uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing that when it comes out. Uh, Simon, you alluded to this before, but uh, what is the business model of the CRAG? How is it financially sustainable? How is it financially sustainable right now um, is through uh, is through kind of the team volunteering their time. Uh, their core team and other um, other developers uh, who have st started to come on board, and um, the community uh, doing this as part of their passion in the con uh, con in contributing content. The underlying model. So we want to make this free. That's part of this has always been that 
the community is contributing the content and part of the reward of that is they get that community gets free access to that content. What we have said though is you can have free access to the content, but if you want, you can pay for a kind of a premium membership, which gives you nothing. It gives you, uh, well, actually it, gives, it does give you a few things. It gives you a, a different avatar color and there are some perks from advertisers you can get. And there are a few other very minor things that you, you can get on the site, but generally you don't get any extra content for, for being this premium member. Interestingly, 5% of people who contribute to the content of the CRAG tend to want to help support financially the CRAG. And about 0.5% of people who passively use the CRAG are, are prepared to do that. So this is kind of like, like kind of like a contributor pays model. Um, the people who do the most pay the most, but uh, that's nothing different to what the community was in the past. So the people who who put in the bolts and wrote the guidebook, they probably bought some software, got got the guidebook published. Probably cost them a couple of thousand dollars, and they probably don't get their money back. So so it's the people who are doing the work often pay in the climbing community, and that's part of being that's part of being a community anyway. Part of the business model is um, uh, asking the community to uh, help us, uh, to help fund us. Um, and sufficient sufficient people do that to, to pay for servers. Um, and another part of the business model is for advertising um, to get uh, climbing at climbing businesses to advertise. And now the, the great thing about climbing businesses is climbers actually want to see what they advertise. Uh, most users on the crag probably don't think we advertise, but we do. It's just because um, it is well integrated into the content and it is climbing related. Uh, so advertising is part of our, our model, our sustainability model, and we've got a gym offering. Um, so getting gyms to sign up on a premium membership so they can bring the outdoor experience of ticking into their gyms. There's a community managed version of uh for gyms, but they're also a, uh, a premium version for gyms. The core of our business model is scale though. So we only kind of are sustainable when we get big enough. Um, if this was just an Australian site, would never be big enough to be sustainable. But as a worldwide site, there, there, is, a, there is a sustainable business model according to our spreadsheets. Um, and we're well, well and truly on our way. That's good to hear. Okay, so taking our conversation back to Australia again. How do you think the crag has been influenced by its roots? It's having been started in Australia versus say somewhere else, some other country. Coming from like growing up in uh, or starting my climbing in Melbourne, the crag had a very specific, it was very specifically influenced by my experience. Um, and that was, I kind of liked to Put a tick on my guidebook at the end of the weekend. Um, didn't put a date. I just put a tick. That's all I wanted. That's all I wanted is the bike guidebook to have a tick. Um, and I just did trad routes. And and so that was kind of. Um, so if you look at the percentage of trad of routes in Australia, there's more trad routes on, on the crag than anything else. That's the predominant type of climb in the database. So not all trad climbers thought the same way as I did. A lot of trad climbers just did it to escape. Um, like trad route is a is kind of an adventure experience, and it's going to the unknown. I guess there's guide there's guidebooks, and but ticking trad trad routes probably wasn't as big a, a thing as say ticking a sport route. So quickly, um, climbers tended to wanted to 
tick the sport routes more. So the most common tick is sport ticks, so by far. Um, so there's more trad routes, but more, way more sport, sport ticks. What was clear was that ticking needed a date, and that was very influenced by the early Australians. Um, I didn't really care about the date initially because I was kind of that a trad adventure kind of person. I just wanted some sort of vague record that I've done it. Um, so we included, started to include dates. Um, one of the other things about um, the crag and Australia, like Australia is kind of 3% of the world climbing market. So starting a, a global resource in a 3% niche is really difficult. And if you look at the Eubanks grading system, it kind of represents a very small number of the, the climbs. So if we started in America, I think we would have just said, oh, no, all, all, everyone can just use the, uh, the YDS system. You know, uh, um, they can just follow us. But we can't really do that in Australia. So the, the very first thing we had to do is say, oh, look, if we're going to be global, we have to support local. Uh, otherwise, we won't be supporting ourselves. Um, and we can't expect the rest of the world to use Eubanks uh, and change from their French grading system to the Eubanks system to use the Craig. That would be uh, absurd. So that, that the fact that we started in here, um, what was one of our high, value system, uh, high values sort of came from starting in Australia, I would, I would suggest. So there were also some other idiosyncrasies, you know, with uh, Australian climbers. Um, we kind of like irony we kind of like to laugh at ourselves um when there's a hard route we've we've called it a sandbag we don't really want to regrade it we just want to just say oh it's a sandbag and, and have a good laugh about it so that was that was kind of part of our the development like the initial part of the crag had this kind of feedback easy touch sand sandbag and that wasn't about regrading the route. It was just about telling the story of you tried something and you were spat off because it was two, actually two grades harder than you can climb. But when we took that overseas, um, no one knew about that concept. Um, it was a kind of the climb, what's sandbag? What's a, what does that mean? <laughs> can you explain it? Yeah, so uh, uh, that was, so that, it's interesting to see those kind of um, small cultural differences. Australians don't, ever do this in-between grades. I don't know if you know about them, um, but an in-between grade would be uh, if you were to say something was a 22 slash 23. So Australians just like saying it's either a 22 or a 23. And I'm that same culture. Like I thought, ah, oh, yeah, it's just, if, you, if you're saying 22, 23, you're just indecisive. You can't, um, you can't make up your mind. Um, just, just pick one. <laughs> but actually, um, Worldwide, it's a very common phenomenon. So it's very common in, in the US, for example, to say um, something's in between grades. Uh, so 512A slash B. And it's actually, they view it as a separate grade. Um, so, um, and that's kind of took us a long time to come to terms with. I just kind of refused to believe that um, actually it's a separate grade. I just thought, oh, just be decisive. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Australians, you won't see that much in Australia, but you will see that um, outside of Australia quite a lot. We like a simple grading system, so we don't have adjectival um, and technical. We've just got one. Um, we don't have a protection rating system, although we do use sometimes use X and R occasionally. It's open-ended like all well, like most grading systems, um, unfortunately, 
uh, UK is a little bit different. They've called something very difficult, which is actually on the easy scale <laughs> of modern climbing. Um... All right, I'm just going to jump in here briefly. Unfortunately, our connection, internet connection dropped out kind of midway through this recording. And as a result, we did lose a little bit of the discussion. Only a little bit, uh, but I'm going to have to kind of fill in the gap. Simon had just finished discussing how the crag had been influenced by its Australian roots before we picked up a discussion about the Australian Eubanks grading system and some interesting things that they see in the data, particularly milestone grades that see a higher number of ascents and first ascents. We pick back up with Simon getting into this topic. So one thing which is also interesting is what grades people do and don't do. Grade eight is quite popular. Grade nine, not so popular. Not many people like to put up roots of grade nine or, or do them. Grade 10, milestone. And grade, for example, grade 17, not so popular. So in between milestone grades, you, you see not only the, with the ascents, but also with people putting up roots. So there's a kind of a bias, there's obviously a bias, slight bias that if it's close to a 10, they'll say it's a 10. Um, if it's closer to a, an eight, they'll say it's an eight. It just, they'll put it onto the, the milestone, milestone grades. You see that in the data? You see that in the data. You see little, little steps in the data and you see at grade 25, um, a big, a, a big increase. So everyone likes grade 25, like most popular grade is 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 kind of it used to be grade eighteen. It's moved up. It's moved up a bit now. It's kind of um, nineteen. Uh, so that's slowly moving. The most popular grade is slowly moving up over the years. But at grade twenty five, there's kind of this. I guess it's it's probably at that point where you really have to train to get above it. It's accessible for um, kind of the social gym climbers. Um, so it's it's kind of still accessible for a lot of people but with a little bit of training but um and it seems to be just that milestone grade and the effort to go above 25 is probably just not worth it for them <laughs> so so you just you just see a lot of people pushing for 25 but not a lot of pushing people pushing through 25 which is actually really if you are to to be pushing grades or thinking about uh being a strong a really strong climber you'd have to recognize that the that potentially there's that journey to get sucked into um, stopping at certain points. So, uh, so I think it's really like the stats actually mean something. Yeah. So it's not, it's not just an interest thing, um, but they do actually fundamentally mean something. So you think this pattern in the data is driven by people having, say, a strong drive for a lifetime goal grade, and when they reach that point, that that drive and motivation drops off. Yeah, I I really think so. I think that there's a um, so I've done a bit of marathon running as well, um, and there's definitely that. Like there's in, when you when you're a marathon runner, there's certain times. If you get there, you can often just stop. That's it. Um, like uh, once you've once you've reached that, and I think I think a grade grade twenty five is one of those points. Like if you can climb a grade twenty five, that's that that's a that's a great point. That's a great achievement. What about the other grading systems? Do, do you see this pattern of step changes between? these milestone grades and say a favoring of some grades over others. Is that something you see in those other grading systems? 
Uh, I'd have to ask Nikki about that. Um, there might it might be slightly different because you know if you're in America, you 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 probably don't want to stop at five twelve C. You probably want to get to five thirteen. Um, so there's <laughs> there's slightly different branding. Um, uh, um, yeah. So uh, globally, yeah. I, look, I have. We we definitely see these idiosyncratic trends in the in the graphs, but the overall trends are pretty similar. So so if you look at the peak grades, they're pretty similar. The way that the number of ascents drops at higher grades is pretty similar, and the, the kind of the shape of the tail. One of the one of the advantages of the Australian grading system is its simplicity. Um, the Eubanks is just so simple. So you add a, the complexity of some of the other grading systems. So it's probably um, uh, not as obvious. Like you wouldn't have the odd number like this grade nine not being so popular because it's an odd number um, in between the mile, that milestone of grade 10. So you wouldn't, that wouldn't exist. Yeah, from, from the experience, I know there is, there is uh, there also another grading system ex, uh, existing this uh, grade milestones. And they are, of course, they are in the same region, but they are not uh, linearly translated. So if the 25 is for sure not a great milestone in the French one. Yeah, so there you have uh, the 7A as a very common milestone. This is about around 24 or 23 in this area. So it it's it's really comes with the grading system. You have sometimes A, B, C, and of course then your milestone is not in between B and C, but it's if it jumps over from C to the next number and so on. And there, and there, there always exists this if you are a beginner or your uh, friends from the gym talking about yeah, there's a You have to try. This is a 7A, and so and this is um, this is also connected to this local grading system. Where exactly are the milestones? They are, of course, they are in the same region. That is where the the physical power level of the normal normal human being is around. Yeah, where, where you could come with some certain kind of training, but not to have to be an an expert or elite one. But um, The, the fine steps are really, this is a little bit more culture if it's in half and grade earlier or later in, in other grading systems. Yeah. And how have you gone about doing the grade conversions between systems? Is it based on data that you have or did you do it on the basis of grade conversions that you obtained elsewhere in guidebooks? How was it determined? That's a, it's actually a really good question. Um, so the fundamental way it's determined is uh, by literature review. So we review what the expectation that what climbers are reading in the literature and try and get multiple examples of the conversions. Now, the literature for grade conversions is usually one grade to another. There's very few sites which say, here are 27 grades that are converted. So the literature usually says, how does French grade com convert to a Guadius grade? Um, it's usually a local, a local grading system comparing with some sort, some kind of more internationally recognised grading system. So we do a quite a extensive literature review, uh, and then look at how, how where they're consistent, um, and then we, we've divided all the grading regions into. Uh, kind of how, how good a climb you are from all the way up to elite. And we've said, okay, let's analyse in where you are in that, that level, where that grade is in that level and how they all fit together. So 
if you've got a, a loop of conversions from one grading system to another, back to another again, um, does it, do you actually end up in the same grade? And if you do a literature survey, you might not end up in the same grade if you convert between three or four systems and just follow, fo- follow the pathway. What, we've, what we ended up doing is saying, okay, all grades have a range. Eubanks has a range. It's a range of difficulty, this, this conceptual difficulty which exists in the ether somewhere. So, and a range could be like we could even in Eubanks in our in our conversions, we we could say a, a, a climb is grade eleven to fourteen. So, I mean, that's yeah, we've just it just happens that grade eleven is a is a range at um, at a, a very specific number. But from our conversion point of view, it can be a range of any number of Eubanks grades. Uh, and then we say, okay, let's how does that map to this ether of difficulty? And we've said that there's uh, open-ended 500 like we've got this grading system in the background with 500 data you know data points um, and we then have some uh, we, we developed based on the literature survey we developed some rules so it's a rule-based uh, system which says okay this this literature is saying that um, the French grade uh, a certain grading system tie, ties quite closely with the French grade so Whatever kind of conversions we do to the French, it'll happen to this other grading system as well, and so it's all rule based based on the. the uh, and so some some grading systems will have like three. Every three grades will match every two of another. So we put it all in, in into this big ether, and what comes out is this magic, this magic conversion into our back end system, and then from the back end system we can convert back. So. We never actually convert from one grade to another. We always convert to an intermediary um, system, um, and it's that. And the rules are defined in the to get you into the intermediary system. Okay, so you have a base grading system that's unique to the crag, that's in the background that yes. every other grade system converts into. Yeah, and it's. Uh, like it started at 500 points, but it's over 500 now. It's open-ended, just like... like yeah, wow. Uh, actually, it's been quite... It, it's made things a lot easier. Um, it's been a really... Um, uh, and, and it means we don't get tied into this, into an argument about whether or not uh, something should be equivalent to a particular grade because most of our conversions are from one grading system to another that... You're not at the exact boundaries. You maybe halfway, or maybe it just touches a little bit into a, into the next level up. But we kind of don't worry about that. We just worry about getting it into our uh, into our background grade. And if we get feed, specific feedback and we can find literature where we're wrong, we will we will adapt it. So some of the AI techniques which we're working on, we can adapt as well to start to use to use some of those AI techniques to actually verify our assumptions and um, maybe make some fine-tuning so that the actual end result is based way more statistically than just literature survey. That's in grade conversion. Uh, The AI you talked about earlier, how would that apply when the first ascensionist gives a grade to a climb? Uh, So the AI which we're talking about can't, on the first ascension, it can't tell you what the grade is um, because it, it, it doesn't know anything. It's got zero knowledge. It didn't actually do the climb itself. It's an observational knowledge. Um, it basically observes who's doing the route, who's failing on the route, and um, 
Like if you're climbing a grade, say you're climbing a grade 18, you're a grade 18 climber and you fail on a route. Well, you know it's probably not a grade 14. You know it's probably 18 or above, but maybe not. Maybe you just had a bad day and it was a grade 17. But if if five grade 18 climbers fail on a route, then it's more likely to be higher than a grade 18. Like if, if, if 10 grade 18 climbers can do the route and 10 grade 17 can't, then it's probably a grade 18. Yeah, so this this, this AI is observational and it's, and it's looking at the strength of the climbers who are doing the route and then making an assessment of that. And it's a probabilistic assessment assessment what's the most probable grade that that route is and the more people do the sense the better the quality of that assessment so if, if one person does it you can't tell much but if 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 100 people do it you can actually get that quite accurate it's quite amazing do you think that over time more and more data in that sense will help improve grading absolutely this the, uh, the this 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 technique is um uh, very tied to the qu- quantity of data. So what it means is that we'll never completely walk, walk away from uh, first ascensionists grading routes because, um, uh, A, they're, they're the first ascensionists, they have the right to grade a route, but um, there might be quite an obscure route which isn't climbed again for 10 years, So, um, in which case uh, no AI will be able to solve that, uh, that problem. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's move on to insights about Australian climbing and climbers that can be pulled from the crag data because you have a lot of data. Uh, we've talked about AI and we've, we've already touched on some of this with the patterns that you see in the grades. What other insights or interesting things can you tell us about Australian climbing from the data that you have? Uh, maybe Nikki, do you want to just lead this? Um, we we looked into our data and uh, find some numbers, yeah, or same some insights. Maybe a little bit uh, culture aspect is the uh, most common root names, yeah. The, um, uh, we did the survey just for Australia. Our leadership is um, stairway to heaven, stinky fingers, followed by slippery when wet. Battle of the Bulge, First Blood. And it, I think it tells you a little bit about... Okay, so these are the most common root names in Australia. Yeah, the most, most common after filtering typical things like unknown project Y or uh, the, the, uh, the slab somewhere or so. But the really, really names, this is uh, the most uh, the leadership of the, of the root names. And this gives you at least a little bit insight about uh, the, the culture and... Um, can we go through them again? Yeah, I, I say it again. This is stairway to heaven. Yeah. Stairway to heaven. The, the, yeah, so the leader. Then comes stinky fingers. Stinky fingers. S- slippery when wet. Slippery when wet. Yep. Battle of the bulge. Battle of the bulge. Yeah, I think I've seen a couple of those. Yeah. First blood. Black, black magic. Scorpion. And room with a view. So, so you could climb. Um, there are seventeen stairways to heaven. There are seventeen stairways to heaven in Australia. Just in Australia, there are seventeen stairways to heaven. So, we should be able to find our way there. Should be able to. <laughs> What's some other stats? Um, okay, so the most climbed route grade is actually grade eighteen. 
Um, Australians have made over a million updates to the Australian content in the database. So this is a community. This is a strong community, very supportive. Um, it's absolutely amazing how how much the community are giving to making sure the data is you know, up to date. What do you think the busiest month is in in Australia? I think you should be able to guess this. September? No. Easter, April. Easter, April, yay! <laughs> um, what's the most desirable route in Australia? What would, if, if you were to say, what would you most likely to do, want to do, if you could only do one more route in Australia? Okay, uh, if you could only do one more route. Oh, okay. Well, if you're in your tick list, what's one one of the what? What do you think is the most popular or the most? No, it's so we've we've got a so we get feedback on how much people enjoy the route as well as popularity. So we've got some stats to join those two things together, um, and we we've come up and, and we've got this desirability uh, and um, and the most desirable route in Australia is. Kachung. Kachung, of, of course. Yeah, Arapiles, Kachung, grade 21, roof, swinging out, and boy, I've done it, and it's, I can, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just the most amazing climb. Um, so the data suggests so Kachung actually, is actually the top most favourite climb in Australia. Top most favourite climb as far as combination of kind of user feedback on how good much how good an experience it was combined with popularity so you've got to have both you've got to be both popular and good quality so there are some right some climbs which are extremely good quality uh, and good feedback but they're not popular because they might be kind of in the middle of nowhere so accessibility is, comes in, comes into this statistic um, one thing that I got really kind of really really enjoyed in my um, preparation for this was uh, an old piece of work which we did a long time ago um, and it was something called grade icons it's the the climbs that climbers in Australia enjoy the most at each grade so we, I've got I've got a really interesting list of 20 climbs between grade 10 and 30 that that climbers have enjoyed the most and they come from four crags four areas Awesome. Well, uh, we might not have time to go through all of them, but maybe just give us a taste of a few of the great icons and uh, we can provide the full list on the layback blog later on. Okay. Uh, um, I, the most popular climb in Australia, I'll mention that, is also a great icon. It's called Muldoon in Arapiles. Muldoon in Arapiles, most popular climb. Yeah, Mount Arapiles, Muldoon, grade 13. Okay. I'm going to mention another one in Rapley's called Kaiser Resignation. Um, and now it's the combination of two climbs. It's the only combination climb which has met this list. And um, it's a grade 15. Most climbs were the just what was the original ascensionist put up. This one has become the most popular combination of doing, doing one pitch of one climb and another pitch of another. Um, and it's called, and it's in a Rapley's, Kaiser, Kaiser Resignation. Um, All right, I'll try and guess one here. Uh, grade 11, Agamemnon. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, okay, Blue Mountains, one from the Blue Mountains, grade 18, The Eternity. Uh, the Eternity, mega classic crack climb. Uh, 
I've done that one. Um, now, so the first one in Naura. So Naura starts to come up at about grade nineteen. Vanderholics. Vanderholics, fantastic climb. Oh, you think so? I don't. I have. I don't actually know that one, but I do know spinning blades of steel um, in Naura. Kangaroo Point features. Uh, Chipper hold away um, in Kangaroo Point, uh, grade twenty-two. Grade twenty-two. Uh, Mount. Is it grade 22? That's a contentious one. Ah, well, we'll see. We'll see what our AI says. The AI will tell us at some point. (laughs) We'll we'll have to keep an eye out on that in the next... (laughs) People Uh, who have climbed it know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, Okay, Mount Coulomb. Uh, Is it Scrambling Insanity in Mount Coulomb? That's grade 26. And Spoon Man... Screaming Insanity. And uh, Spoon Man at 28, Yeah. yeah? Yeah. Now, in between that is grade 27. Can someone tell me what is a what is a iconic grade 27 in Australia? Velvet gold mine. So the crag doesn't think there is one. No, really. So, so I'm interested to know if someone can say what the iconic grade 27 is. Um, okay, and I've got to mention uh, Grampians, Eye of the Tiger, grade 29, and the most popular. Uh, grade 30 is Evil Wears No Pants, Mount Coulomb. Evil Wears No Pants. Mount Coulomb getting three up there. Oh, Mount Coulomb gets three of the tough ones. Uh, Raps gets all the easy ones. Um, Blue Mountains gets quite a few mid-range ones. Yeah? Nothing on so, Taipan Wall? N- nothing on Taipan Wall features? Uh, I don't know if it... No, I don't don't think there is anything on Taipan. No, Eye of the Tiger is 29 don't think that's on Taipan Wall. Serpentine didn't make it at 29. No, Serpentine didn't make it. A bit too spicy, perhaps. So, I mean, Taipan Wall looks beautiful. Probably is beautiful to climb. <laughs> but it's also, so this is also accessibility. So if, it, if a climb isn't accessible, you won't, it won't get on this list. Ah, very good. We'll have to publish that list in full on the blog. Thank you. So in, in wrapping up, uh, I guess let's finish on where you all would like to see the crag go in future. Ooh, um, so over and above our already enormous vision, <laughs> me, me personally, I have, um, so I think we're well and truly on our way with uh, being a key kind of uh, the, a go-to site for contribution. Uh, for contributing content, I want that to continue and our features to continue and us to uh, support that in a sustainable way for the community. Um, for as far as ticking goes, um, I think we've made some really interesting, challenging expansions to including gyms. And during the COVID, we've we've even started ticking training ticks, um, which was really popular um, during lockdown and really motivating. So we, we're going to look into um, ways of how to continue that. Um, uh, and and so the crag, I, we, I really see the crag as becoming kind of a, a little bit of a, a background helper for climbers as well. So, you know, so CPR, for example, is really useful for um, for training, um, if uh, seeing how you're improving. So normally a climber will go up a grade every six months or a year. Uh, it's really hard to see improvements. But with CPR, you can see micro-improvements from week to week, um, uh, If you, especially if you start looking at CPR from a session basis. So you do five climbs at a gym or 15 climbs at a gym. How, how did that compare to last week when you did one on-site, one on-site and 
and um, and the rest were just repeats. Um, so so that kind of so kind of CPR, I'd love to see that sort of filter through to training. And one of the reasons why I got quite inspired by performance with my uh, children in a, in a different, a completely different um, uh, uh, field of uh, uh, field of expertise, and that was in the world of chess. And they've got, um, so in some ways, a ch- chess is way more advanced um, in in the performance. They've got ratings, and um, it's really interesting to see how you can monitor performance through ratings. Um, and uh, yeah, so I kind of very interested in in that kind of area personally. Um, we'll see how that go. How p- my personal interests uh, end up. Uh, influencing the overall team but um, we'll uh, yeah so yeah so anyway that's some aspects of the future yeah and I think you know we are as the vision statement says you know we want to be the biggest climbing platform uh, and the most innovative and so on Uh, we want to you know we are by far the largest platform in terms of content and this goes very much with what Simon just said we want to we want to keep it that way and we are uh, eternally grateful to the great community we have uh, that contributes so much uh, to the content improving the quality of the content adding new stuff uh, having constructive discussions on the crack Uh, it's just incredible the amount of of, uh, data and information that is made available for everyone in in uh, on our platform and through that community. And this is, of course, the key aspect and we want to keep it that way. So uh, whatever makes it easier, uh, whatever makes the data better, whatever makes the data more structured and easier to analyze that way uh, are key things we, we want to improve. And uh, yeah. Again, you know, I think it's hard to find another platform that has such a great community and such a willingness to help and support us if it's if it's through through contributing data, if it is financially. Uh, it's just great to work with and for such a community. And that's the way we want to keep it. Mm. So I want to just reiterate that um, how how motivating it is when you work with people who are so kind of grateful and willing to help. And so we've got volunteers helping not only in the content, but on translations. Um, we put our, uh, we've put our hand up um, re- uh, recently um, uh, to get some help with uh, CSS um, design. And we, we thought we'd get one, one of maybe two people to help. We've got about 10 people willing to help in a week and it's just amazing. Very good. Nikki, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I also really would uh, like yeah, what, uh, what the other both guys told us, uh, told us uh, right now, but also I really would like to uh, to see the platform that it also helps me in uh, in the future for this what what we kind what we envision yeah is as I really would like to have and really would like to live this uh, this kind of um, that uh, there's 
a lot of information around and I would really like to use this information for my daily climbing. I, I don't want that the system tells me that I what what I, that I what I have to climb, but I really would like to base my own decisions on very good data, yeah, on, on very good information. And if it comes from the community in a structured way, then it, it really helps me a lot. And then I, I really think it will help a lot. A lot of other people's a lot if you have access to this data. So this is what we kind of envision for the future. That's it, Australia. Thanks to Simon, Ulf and Nikki for coming on the podcast and sharing the history of the crag, their insights into Australian climbing and what we can expect to see on the crag in future. Thanks to all of you listeners out there. Head over to Facebook, Instagram, give us a like, uh, shoot us a note, let us know what uh, you thought of the podcast. Uh, you can also head over to the blog at www.thelayback.com for links to the great icons that were mentioned in the podcast for rope climbing and bouldering across Australia. So you can add them to your tick list and get psyched on them you'll also find photos links and other goodies i've pulled up from the crag like what the crag used to look like in the early days of the internet when it first came out to take us out here's a clip from the 1990s from the abc with a sydney university lecturer talking about the future impact of the internet thanks for listening a new mass media it's not television it's not radio, it's not newspapers, but it has elements of every single one of those. And it's a new medium because it's going to be interactive. And they'll be able to deliver sound and pictures into your home, right on your computer screen. And you'll be able to pick sites from elsewhere in the world and download pictures and sounds. It's going to get woven into the daily fabric of our lives. It'll be just like using a telephone. It'll be like using your car on the roads. It'll be like our sewer systems. We take it for granted. It's just, if I want to talk to somebody on the far side of the world, it'll be just as natural as me talking to you now.